Welcome to Fargo TV. This is Mike, and I'm here with Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Mike. Hey, this is a West Coast Project. We, you know, we have been talking about the website a little bit and the Twitter and stuff, so I wanted to give it out a little bit more frequently. Um, we do a couple other podcasts on westcoastproject.com. So the best thing to do is just go to our website and see what's available. We've done some True Detective. We'd have, we've done some other stuff. So right now we're doing Louie and Fargo, and you can find all those links on West Coast Project. And also you can send us tweets if you want at Scathing Tweets. I don't know if you've ever sent anything to my Twitter, Michelle, but sca at Scathing Tweets is my Twitter account. Okay, um, good. So here we are with episode eight, The Heap. What did you think of this episode, Michelle? It was like a, it was almost like a how it's made, the way it started out. Yeah, it was. The way it started was kind of neat. I'm telling you, I still felt a little in shock over the episode when it, when they changed uh, time frame. It's just it's. I've listened to a couple of people's takes on it already, and everybody sounds as bumbling as I feel about it, which makes me feel better. Um, what do you mean it, when they change time frame, when they jumped ahead? Right, right. When, when we come a year in the future with absolutely no... Uh, there, there was nothing to indicate that was going to happen. I mean, we kind of talked about that they might go in the future, and a lot of people speculated on that, but... Um, just in that one scene, I was just expecting something entirely different and got that. And it made it hard to think about what happened in the past for me, which was the whole first three quarters of the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. It added a whole new layer of complexity that Lester got away with his crime and, you know, Malvo's still out there and Chaz is in, sitting in jail probably somewhere. I guess. I guess we'll have to find out. But that whole 12 months passing did add a whole another layer of complication on top yeah. of things. Yeah, it did. And it made it it's very difficult and complex to think about um, everything that went on and so many questions. There's so many questions. Well, let's get into it. Lester's okay. buying a new washing machine. That's the how it's made factory. That was pretty cool. Um, it, and it almost seems like Lester's exchanging the things in his life and the washing machine is a very symbolic one. Yeah. His whole basement was different. It was cleaned and, uh, and I mean, it was clean before, but it was different. It was new stuff down there and everything. And, um, and the, even the guy who delivered the new washing machine, he was like smack talking the old washing machine. Did you hear him? He was saying how it was Chinese screw, plastic screws or something, and they even thought it had been recalled. He couldn't believe there was this. I bet it walked across the floor or something like that. Bucked like a Bronco, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So evidently that was not a loan problem that Lester and Pearl had had with that washing machine. But, yeah, it was like he was exchanging everything old and Upgrading. in his mind broke it. Yeah, for something new, new and so, flashy. I thought there were a lot of tonal clues in this episode, like in some of the sounds and the effects. And I'm, you know, I it was thinking as I was writing down my notes this week, like if I'm a hammer, everything I'm looking for is a nail, right? I'm just <laughs> right. looking for meaning in every single little thing. Right. I think I found like 15 connections to other movies and 
you know, other Coen Brothers shows and, of course, No Country for Old Men and Anton Chigurh and everything, everything, on and on. But um, I'll, I'll make the quick reference to it, but I won't try to embellish it. Um, one of the things when they changed this first washing machine scene is the spin out, they spin out to the new scene is counterclockwise. Um, the, the screen literally spins counterclockwise. Then the washer they make a point to showing us is clockwise. So I don't know if that means anything at all or nothing, or it's just a cool uh, thing to check out. But they were using some weird effects like that. Yeah, they did. They did it a couple times. And Lester, I actually thought he was going to pass out or something, the way they were showing him spin or something, that, like you were talking about. I, I didn't know if he was I, – I didn't know. The music was cheerful, and spinning mm -hmm. counterclockwise gives you the – intuitive feeling that we're going backwards right. um, but then they go right from that spin out counterclockwise to showing the new washing machine purring away perfectly quietly in a clockwise um rotation so i i don't know that it's it was a cool transition um and then it blended right into kitty's coffee cup so yeah kitty and lester are talking about gordo and Chaz. yeah and even kitty is uh has nothing but she almost seems like she's proud of lester she she seems like he he uh i don't know like she likes him and she's fond of him and she kind of looks up to him and stuff were you surprised but, that chaza and gordo were both in jail gordo was in jail yeah i'm sure he was in some juvenile place right I guess, but he's in a I mean, place like where he can't 10. freely leave, I guess. No, we can't. I mean, you can't take a gun to school, I wouldn't imagine. I mean, but... So were you just waiting for Lester and Kitty to get busy in this scene? I, I, don't, I don't ever know what to expect. That's just it. I don't know, particularly when she leans over and kisses him. I don't know. But even before that, the way she was looking at him and the way she was speaking with him... Very fond and almost like, you know, Lester's got this new power. You can just see what self-confidence does to people. He he is really more attractive because he's confident. Yeah, he is. I don't know that he's as attractive as he thinks he is, but they're certainly showing that his attraction and, and his confidence are drawing people to him, even, um, you know, Miss Hubbard County. Well, he's much less cringeworthy just watching him. You know, I'm I'm not embarrassed for him at all in this episode, like I was a lot in the past. Did you notice that, though, that Kitty was more upset at Chaz for cheating on her yeah. than for killing Pearl? That's another one of those tonal clues, I think, that we have to consider, at least, in that she, her vanity is a huge element in this conversation. You don't cheat on Miss Hubbard County, Michelle. <laughs> well, Chaz should have known. I guess, I mean, but that Lester, that was surprising yeah, to Chaz. me of Kitty. Kitty seems sweeter than that in the previous episode. Previous episodes. Does she? To Does me, she seem yeah. sweet? 
I don't well, know. She just seems she seems she's bragging to Pearl. We know from episode one about all the new stuff they've got and everything. She's kind of bragging on her family. That's her identity is her things and or that's how I took it. The character's identity is what she has, and so she's left vulnerable because she was talking about having to sell all of her stuff. And um, so, what does she have? Was she trying to sell some of that stuff to Lester? Oh, I thought she was trying to give it to Lester, but she was saying that that, that they had to sell everything they owned to pay for the for so the legal bills. So why is she bills. giving stuff away to Lester? She yeah. have to move out of the house? I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Lots of questions. I was really impressed with um, Martin uh, Freeman. Martin Freeman's acting. You know, he's been Bilbo. He's been your Tim of the office, Jim of the office in, Brit- in the British office. And he's been weak, feeble Lester. And now he's like powerful Lester. He's really a good actor. He is. And he he goes back and forth. Even a couple times during this episode, you see the signs of the old Lester and then the new confidence coming through. Yep. So pretty good. So Lester goes home and starts throwing away everything Pearl owns. He's cleaning house. Puts it to the curb. Every bit of it. And all of this stuff has a really hopeful theme. You know, the soundtrack and all this. Just the feeling, you can see it in his face. He, he looks like enthusiastic about life, moving on with his life. He was definitely decluttering. Yep. So um, that, was, that was pretty interesting, though, all, those, all these little tonal shifts. Um, we see Molly driving over to Luz, and he's getting flower, she's getting flowers. I guess Luz getting the flowers uh, for, for Molly, and stack, they're stacking up at the diner. And I assume that's because he doesn't have her address. Gus doesn't have Molly's address, right? Or... Uh, Gus is not very aggressive in closing the deal with Molly. <laughs> He's not, is he? Um, but, yeah, Molly comes over and talks to Lou. Lou's like a pretty good guiding force for Molly, I think. He's trying to tell her about, I don't know, do you think this was a statement of women in the corporate structure of how Molly's where she is in her job and Lou's trying to give her advice on how to move in and up among men and management and stuff. Mm, Maybe, or maybe it's just the way a father would talk to a daughter based on that same thing. I don't know if it's man and woman or father and daughter, but yeah, that sounds right to me because he doesn't necessarily think that going to Bill with the direct approach, I don't. I didn't take it was the right way to handle it with Bill. Yeah, that was very good, subtle advice. Don't hit him over the head. Like, let him think he came up with some of it. Be, be political, essentially. Yeah. So we we see Bill at the PD, and he's waiting for his omelet to digest. <laughs> well, it was mushroom and cheese, so that could take a while, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> And then Molly has her uh, rust coal wall of all the evidence um, from the case. Yes, she does. Kind of interspersed with uh, um, the chief waiting for his omelet to digest. Did you notice those pictures, though? Because they're like glamour shots that they got of these guys. It's not mug shots and stuff like that. It's um, the pictures that she has up look more like something that you would get done at 
Penny's or Sears or somewhere rather than the photos that they might have. Some of them aren't, of course. Some of them are the surveillance photos and stuff. But yeah, they might be police photos. I mean, like the one on Lester, you can. It might be like a whatever happens when you get your photo at if you get caught by the police. Like a mugshot, a lineup. Yeah, yeah. They were pretty good pictures she had of everybody. She had a photo diary up on the wall. But she's so compelling, and everything she's saying to Bill is so compelling. And Bill is not having it. Bill, this is done. They've already went out for drinks. How can she bring this back up again? Yeah. I saw another little hint of vanity, though, when the chief admitted he was wrong, even though he thinks he's right, but he's wrong about what he thinks he's, how he was wrong (laughs) the first time. Um, But at least he's admitting a little bit of vanity that he has, you know, that he had some vanity and then he was wrong about it even though he's still wrong. I don't know. I thought that was a little little interesting hint. Well, um, and then Molly tells him he's still wrong. Yeah. She says, I mean, she just kind of lays it out there, and she gets very emotional and a little, uh, I don't know, loud even over how much she really wants him to hear her. And there's things, he's just, this is settled to Bill. So we see another little tone in this episode is one I think is philosophy. Um, we get Bill's philosophy on life. And sometimes it's just not meant to be <laughs> pretty generic, I know, and pretty defeatist, but sometimes sometimes things are just not meant to be. Yeah, and sometimes you go to bed unsatisfied. I mean, he's saying stuff like that, and you're, you can't help but think, Bill... You know, you have to listen to this. This is important stuff. And she brings up the phone call to the hotel. That's the one thing, other than Lester being at the hospital with Malvo, overheard talking to Malvo about Sam Hess, but right before he died. And then she brings up the phone call that Lester made to the hotel, to Malvo. And all that stuff is just just completely discounted. Yeah, Bill's gonna never change from that, I don't think. We, you know, we see later on he's a nice guy. He's trying to adopt a kid or foster a kid, so that adds a little bit of complication or makes Bill a little bit more complicated than just a dumbass. But um, he is a dumbass. <laughs> he is really stupid. Um, I gotta say, he is great in this part, though. Yeah. He has really brought some layers of complexity to this character that. I, I didn't think was going to be there. He he continues on with his same idiocy, but you can't help but kind of like him in a way, too, because you see that maybe his heart's in the right place at times. And I don't know. I think he he's he's really playing this role. Yeah. Yeah, I like him smarter. I liked him as Saul a, a little better. I You know, I get really kind of frustrated watching him as Bill. Which means he's probably acting it out really well. <laughs> yeah, good point. We see um, over at Bo Monk's at the insurance office, Linda and Lester are flirting now, or Linda's flirting really with her short skirt and sitting on the desk and gets just giving Lester the looks left and right. So um, she is. She's uh, making it pretty clear she's in. She invites him over for chili. <laughs> I guess and she likes his tie and his jacket that he had to send back because the arms were too big the first time he got it. Yeah. What guy would say that? He does look better though. Yeah, he does. he's he's essentially saying my arms aren't as big as 
I thought, right? <laughs> right. As a normal size jacket that would fit somebody. I have like girl arms or something. Right. It's kind of funny. So the widow has steams in with her two wolves and gives <laughs> gives Lester the the lowdown on the insurance not getting paid off. Um, with a few graphic lines about you had sex with me and I thought this was settled and uh, Lester tells her otherwise, but he has to still look into it a little bit. But then he stands up to the two the two sons. That was pretty that was pretty cool and pretty obviously a shift in Lester. Yeah, he he at first I didn't know if he was going to. It seemed like the Sam Hess bullying thing all over again, the way he backed away. And I wasn't sure he was going to do that. And then when you saw him grab for that stapler, you knew. He staples the wolves. That was pretty good. That was good. Are he, we calm? Are he, we calm? He pulls the ultimate alpha move when he says, here's what's going to happen. If mm-hmm. you say that in a meeting or to somebody, like, I know you're angry. I know you're angry, angry with me, Michelle, but here's what's going to happen. You are, like, taking charge of that <laughs> conversation. Yeah. And Gina really backed down. Yep. I um do you think that's the end of her? No. Do you think that's the last we're gonna see of her? No. No. Well, okay. I you know, we're gonna see the last of everybody pretty soon, but Right. <laughs> I thought we might have already seen the last of her, but the fact that she's still in play I don't know, who who knows? It could be. I, I don't think she's that important of a character. Um she's she's a very interesting distraction, I think. Well, her storyline, I think, has certainly played out if they want it to have played out. But I hate to think that we've seen the last of her, Kate Walsh, because she's great. Yeah. But Linda, watching Lester defend himself, Linda is really turned on by Lester just manning up and standing up to these two guys, these two boys. Yep. So we see our two pals, Budge and Pepper, at the FBI HQ. Mm-hmm. With their socks and their tapping shoes, those guys are just funny to watch. They don't have to say anything, and they're funny. Um, and we see that they have an important meeting, and they're essentially exiled exiled down into the file room, the file vault. Mm-hmm. And it says to me that made a statement. First of all, about our stupid federal employees can't get fired. Sorry if we have any federal employee fans out there, but. You can't fire them. You just got to ship them away to a quiet corner of the world and let them sit there and bounce balls against the wall. Well, I mean, because they missed something, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Missed it or didn't report it or, you know, whatever. I'm sure it happens all the time, though. You you get promoted up out of your mistake. Well, they but, went down there and they're bouncing the tennis ball and the ball was left there. So whoever was there before... That ball's probably been into some, that's like the the distraction in the yeah. file room or something. It was horrible. I was almost going to skip out on this, but there, that's the, for me, it was a callback to the movie The Great Escape. It's an old, old Steve McQueen movie. Mm-hmm. He gets thrown into a German prison camp, prisoner of war camp, World War II, and his, his passage of time is to bounce a ball against a wall like that. He gets caught one he does it you know he does it then he escapes and he gets caught again in the great escape he doesn't make it out and he gets his ball back and he he's kind of ends it by throwing the ball against the wall mm. to pass his time jeez just like uh budge i guess budge is the tall one and pepper is the short one 
Gotcha. I don't know their names in P- Key and Peel, but um, but yeah, the uh, Budge tapes up Malvo at the ATM or with the ATM pick to that wall. That's Pepper, I think. Pepper's the tall one. No, Budge is the one that taped it up, wasn't he? I mean, Pepper's the one that taped it up, the shorter one, because he's real serious about it. He's real intent on it. I could be wrong. I could have them backwards. But I think the shorter one's the one that taped it up. Okay. The picture of Malvo on the wall. Because he he's staring at it very intently. I think they're kind of, bl- well, as they might should, blaming Malvo for for their situation. Yeah. yeah. It almost feels personal to them that this guy did this and now they're stuck down there but peppers or budge is kind of happy because he's like you know we'll stay down here for a couple weeks they need us to sweat a little he thinks it's going to be some kind of a like a temporary uh almost like they're being grounded like a staycation yeah (laughs) yeah but we find out right here too that uh that 22 people were killed yeah that's a lot of killing yeah, we didn't. I mean, that gang was four or five. I wonder who the other twenty or fifteen or twenty were. Um, yeah, that was a lot of people. I couldn't add them all up. I couldn't find the the victims in my memory. Mm-mm. But so, the the I'm I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that the the tennis ball against the wall as they're sitting down there and as Pepper's staring at the picture of Malvo, I couldn't help but think that it sounded like the thump of the washing machine. Oh yeah. It was almost like they were in their own kind of little hail. Yeah. I don't know. That's just what I thought of when I heard it. So Malvo goes to visit Wrench at the hospital. And, yes, um, he does. <laughs> definite callback to No Country where the guy's choking the cop and he's kicking his feet. I mean, it's hard to not relate that connection. Um but then the the other thing that I thought was cool in this scene that adds to my view of Malvo being some sort of supernatural force is the lights in the bathroom were flickering. They did. They did. And why would they do that if this wasn't some kind of being portrayed as some kind of yeah. innate evil? The lights are fine until Malvo moves and then it flickers as the guy's life flickers out in a way. And so we see Malvo... He recites a little bit of history, hitman history. <laughs> and he's talking to um, Wrench, and he said, he gives him the, the honor of you're the closest anyone's ever come. And it has to be, I think, to killing him, right? You got close. Closer than anybody else. I don't know if it was you or your partner, but look, uh, you still feel raw about things when you heal up. Come see me. That's what I took it as, yeah. And he also lets him know that he's now unemployed in case he hadn't got to see the news. Assume, because he just went and wiped out the whole office up there. Right. Yeah, so and, th- that was cool. Yeah, and he also tells him that he's the one who killed Numbers, who cut his throat. And Wrench wouldn't have known that. I mean, they're not going to tell... Well, first of all, nobody knows who did it except 
Well, I mean, does Molly even know? Who killed? Who killed numbers? I don't I know. I mean, no one saw it, but Molly saw Melva there. So we're assuming that with with numbers dead, that it would be assumed that Malvo did it. But Malvo tells Ranch that he did it. What do you think the point of that was? Do, well, do you think Molly even knew Malvo was in that snowstorm? She saw him. She saw someone. Did she see it was Malvo? I think she did. Okay. I think she saw him and recognized him. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that I felt has fueled her. She goes there. She sees him there. Um, then Numbers comes up dead, and she gets shot and is put down. But she wants to see him be held accountable for what's happened. Well, yeah. him and Lester. So Yeah, it could be. So, so Malvo offers Wrench his freedom. Um, I guess we we infer that he takes the key and escapes, but it sounds like he's escaping into a pretty dangerous situation if he get, if he does get out of there. Um, but anyway, he leaves the leaves the handcuff key, and he and that's the end of that. Then we're over at the uh, at that lose again, and and we're celebrating, I guess, the year anniversary. Um. Not there. There we're just celebrating Molly coming back. Remember, okay. it's the one with the frosting in the shape of a automatic weapon or something. Yeah. Okay, I got it. And so, yeah, yeah Bill's really awkward. At, you know, here we are, a big happy reunion, and kind of awkward silence. That like Vern's not here. Right. And he's bringing his, he's bringing pieces of the gun to them and their cake. It is. He's just such a clod socially. <laughs> Um, but Molly and Ida are girl talking, and Molly almost shares with Ida, but they don't really quite finish that connection. And then Ida thanks Molly for catching the guy, but it's the wrong guy. And Molly doesn't correct her, does she? Doesn't have a chance to. Well, Molly starts to, I think, a couple times, and she stammers around with it, and Ida is looking at her, and you can see Ida's face kind of falling as Molly's talking, and Molly just kind of says, you know, that she's glad it's behind her. She hates to see this, I think, on Ida's face, that they might not have the right one. So she doesn't want to make her feel bad. No, she doesn't. And even though Ida saw Molly try to say something different, and Ida's not stupid, um, she seems happy to let it go, too. Maybe. Um, well, I she was can't... waiting on her to question her about she... what she was trying to say. She can't do much except receive news. She can't really offer any help or be a part of anything getting solved. She just kind of gets reported to. Right. So, I am. Um, and so Molly comes out, and and we see another theme <laughs> that I've connected, the trunk theme. She opens her trunk, and all her evidence from her rust coal wall is in the trunk. Yeah. Like she shut it down from officially from the police office, and um, we're going to see later that she she keeps it around because we see it a little bit of it later or a version of it later. Mm -hmm. But it's all in her trunk. Um, a lot of trunk activity. Yeah, there is. 
And then she's uh, just walking around. I don't know what. She's walking around town, goes by Beau Monk, and sees Lester kind of holding court. Yeah, he's having a pretty animated conversation. And the thing that was different about this one, this, this interaction was, when Molly comes up, she's standing there, and Lester finally notices her, and he acknowledges her. He waves to her. You you can see his confidence building step by step in this. And he he's not even afraid of Molly anymore. And I think Molly was who he feared the most before because she was the most persistent. And he you can see it was almost like the last hurdle with Lester to me. He's not even afraid of Molly. That he can confront his right. accusers. Yeah. yeah, that was an odd little scene because it stood on its own. Plus, she was just packing up her trunk by her car, and the next she's walking around, and she's downtown. And well, then Lou's is downtown, isn't it? What What's downtown? Lou's, the diner where they were having the her welcome back. Uh, yeah, party. but it looked like she was getting into her car. Like, why would they? No, sh- she did, no. I think she just walked out from Ida. She walked out of Lou's and saw the light zone or whatever in Beaumont's insurance office and just walked over there. Okay. That's how I took it. But. Well, that makes sense. But still, the scene stood on its own. It wasn't connected to any other really acti- activity in the episode. No. And I think you're right. It shows Lester standing up to Molly without any hesitation. He didn't have to pretend he didn't see her. Right. Um, so then we go back to Duluth. And uh, it's, a, it's a country road. And seeing that we're in Duluth and a country road made me look up Duluth. I wanted to know more about it. Like if you if you were in Chicago and saw this country road or New York, you'd think, wow, that doesn't really fit. So I wondered, like, how big really is Duluth? And Duluth's pretty small. Uh, I looked it up. Duluth's only like 87,000 people. And it's just a little town on the shores of Lake Superior. And so it's very, very likely that there's country roads all around it. You probably don't have to go very far to get out of town and be in just farmland. And uh, so that's what Gus is doing. He's just parking and kind of setting up a little speed trap and drinking some coffee. (laughs) Pouring coffee on him. He's he's so clumsy. He's just, he's so bumbling. Yeah. In, In his actions and in his speech and in his relationship attempts and... But you can't help but love him. Yeah, I don't love him as much as I used to. Okay, tell me why. I just don't like his incompetence. If I worked with him, if I knew him, I would just like shake my head behind his back like, God, what a a dork. It would be hard to respect him. You know, it's hard to like someone you don't respect, and he's just kind of a bumbler. He's like a bull. I mean, he's a nice enough guy, but he's just not very competent. He doesn't seem very competent. But he calls. But he did, I'm sorry. Go ahead. He did help the guy with his private stuck to a mailbox. Though. Yeah, he calls Molly and tells him tells her what he's <laughs> been up to, and that's what one of the great crimes he solved or great public services he he's performed. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, quite the public service to the so, person who needs it. So him. Molly says something funny, like he didn't like his mail, or like he was humping the mailbox or something. <laughs> Um, but they, um, they they kind of talk about the hearing coming up, and it must be the hearing on the shooting of mm-hmm. him accidentally shooting Molly. Mm-hmm. And um, they make their logging date, although Molly makes it more than Gus makes it. Yeah, much more. Gus wanted to make it, but he doesn't. Yep. And 
when they made this date, they had some ominous music underneath it. And I thought, and I actually wrote this note down before I saw the next scene, that Molly and Gus will not be together. Because <laughs> they had this tonal clue of music like, bad, bad, bad. They're setting a date and this ominous music comes on. Maybe we'll see you there. Yeah, a certainty if uh, we go together. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you're right about that. And when you're right, you're right. On Friday, there's chainsaw carving, and, uh, all you can eat. And on Saturday, there was to pig underground. I've never had it, but it looks to be good. Well, I, I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I like to just go for the food. Greta likes the, all the different uh, contests. Have you ever seen the, the, the guys, they, they go all the way up to the top of the they're panning like the length of this forest or this wooded area and you're wondering is Malvo hiding somewhere and he's going to mean why Woody it would be out of character for the Malvo character but I'm just waiting on something to happen to Gus yeah very cool transition of the woods passing by and time passing Mm -hmm. by and then Gus is in a mail truck and not the cop car anymore um, now, what did you think of Gus in the mail truck? Like, it, it, for me, it brought back Tom Hanks in the FedEx in Castaway. A year goes by, comes back to a new place, and he's kind of somehow he's connected to FedEx and a delivery, you know, venue. And oh, here's yeah. Colin Hanks in his mail truck with a year or with time of having passed by. Now, I didn't think of that, but that's interesting the same kind of uh, concept with it, I think. Do you think that Gus's hearing went bad and he became a mailman, or do you think it was his choice? His hearing went bad? His hearing for the shooting. Oh, oh, I'm thinking I didn't know he was having trouble with his hearing. Um, No, I don't think it... Oh, I don't know. You know, I don't think it necessarily went bad. Um... I just thought he got to do what he wanted to do because he's not in Duluth anymore. Yeah, right? he's, I guess he's back in Bemidji. I made a note about that as a question yeah. mark. Because because they're, um, we'll soon see that they're together and they're married and Molly's pregnant. And the house they're in, they're making plans to see Lou to watch a game. And it sounded like Lou could just pop over pretty easily and lose diners in Bemidji. Right. So you think they're in Bemidji? I think they're in Bemidji. They talk about, yeah, because Molly's still a police officer. So I have to be. So they make plans for Vern's anniversary, or Molly reminds Gus about the plans. Did you, do you mark any sort of an omen about this one year anniversary of Vern's shooting and killing? Everybody else's too, I guess. Um,. I don't know if I know what you mean. Well, does it does the one year anniversary mean? Well, like, will Malvo cook something up, or does it mean anything? 
Um, I I just thought it was a way for them to let us know. Well, no, because they'd already said one year later. They actually put that up on the screen, didn't they? Yeah. Um, no, I was just thinking that they were reiterating that it had been a year since he had died and everything. I didn't think anything else about it. Did you? Well, I wanted to see what you thought about that. And I've never celebrated the anniversary of a death like that, like that, like they did. You know, it seems like something you might silently n- nod to or say a prayer or whatever, but to have a party. I don't know. It was, it was just it was weird that they're making a good point. They're That's marking really- it so distinctly. It, yeah. You know. And that is kind of an odd thing to do, isn't it? I mean, odd meaning I have never participated in anything like that. I mean, Gus is going to bring his Halloween beer even to it. Yeah, Molly ain't going to let him do that because he spit it out. So we now have Margie Mollerson. Margie is back. I know. I know. She puts on the maternity uh, police top. And that's exactly who I saw when she did that. Yep. So in the theme of everything in a movie or in a story has meaning, what did you think of her having her legs go to sleep but then when she stands up as we all do with our leg going to sleep it's fine after we stand up do you think she's gone to sleep for a while and now she's awake to this case again Mm, I don't think she's ever let the case go but I just took it as (laughs) the weight of that baby's making her legs Go to sleep. I, I didn't. I didn't read any hidden meaning into that. Did you? Well, that's what I'm trying to s- infer. I guess. Yeah, I do. Because a year has gone by. Chaz is rotting away in jail. Everybody else is scot free. Um, and meanwhile, Molly's bored in her bedroom or office room, whatever, is more taken up. There's first of all, there's two cork boards. So I don't think you start with two. You start with one, and then you keep building and building, and then, oh, wow, I need more space. I'll put another cork board up. Those threads are stretching across two cork boards, and they're taking up the whole majority of her wall space. So she's she's building this case all over this time, I think. Yeah, she has – this has been a constant, I think, for her. She's not going to let this go, even though – she has to maybe kind of in her own little little region, but she's not going to let it go. She's calling the FBI about it. Yeah, well, that's why I ask about the anniversary and about the leg. My I, my leg's been asleep, but it's okay now. I'm standing up. It's better. Like that. Those are little hints, tonal hints, to something boiling up and like ready to happen. Like now's the time. Well, everybody keeps trying to just move forward and molly's not able to do that yeah so she does call the fbi and the guys like multiple times as you called before i'll make a note in the system but we learn that the system grinds ahead and this is really a truism in life the system grinds ahead like remember in breaking bad when hank kept trying to track people and the fbi boss just finally said look the budget's up move on this case is done and and life does that. You know, life rolls ahead relentlessly. But you have the people who want 
justice who fight who fight for it differently than the people who it just seems like a lot of these people in this, the way they're showing them is this is just their job and they want to go home at five o'clock and they don't want to have the complications of the truth show. Yeah. And well, they make a distinction of Molly being not one of those people that just grinds along when rolls gets rolled up in the system. She wants to keep pursuing this. She can't, she cannot let it go. Yeah. So uh, they're um, busy with the Patriot Act now, so she might not be getting a call back. Yeah. So Pepper and Budge are they still in the mailroom? That's a year yes. later for them too. Yes. And, and Pepper's worn out the paint on the wall with his tennis ball, um, and they have a board too that's built up on the wall over the picture, and he actually knocks it down with the tennis ball, and they're reminded of the ATM photo of Melvo. Yep. And they stand, you know, you you have like the music and the and the intense staring at it, and I think they're. It's kind of building up in them too that they've been down there for a year, and this is why. Yep, and so we see the parable slash paradox of the heap from Pepper. In his little speech there, the heap. Okay, tell me that. Well, the heap is a paradox, as everything mm-hmm. else in this damn show is. Uh, the paradox of the heap is there's a heap of sand on the ground and if you take away one grain is it still a heap with one grain missing yeah probably what about two grains three grains four grains and pepper makes this analogy with the file room if you take away one file is it still a file file room if you're in a cemetery and you take away one body is it still a cemetery what if you take away all the bodies Um, but that's the meaning of the heap paradox the title of the show and it was a very cool way to have pepper um in his term endless days of being in this file room start spouting pretty profound philosophy i think yeah that was pretty good i liked how they worked that in there yeah it's like um again in breaking bad one incident revealed a picture that changed things remember when they pulled the magnet stunt the picture was behind some other there was a there was a picture with a frame and a picture and then something else behind it like a bank account written on it i thought that was a that was interesting that a little nod to breaking bad oh okay yeah um but anyway you know we're looking for a lot of references and stuff but i think they're in there for a reason so anyway um, and now Bill's foster son. That, this scene escapes me a little bit. The meaning, total meaning of it. What, did you have any takes on it? I I honestly did not get that scene at all. The only thing I could tell about it was that it shows us Bill's heart. But other than that, how old was this guy supposed to be? And it this just happened like three weeks ago, or did this happen years and years ago? Well, it couldn't have just been weeks, but it hadn't been t- – that's that's what I was wondering. It couldn't have been long. He had stolen uh, food from the Phoenix Farm for three months. Yep. So we know it was a little while, but this wasn't a child. Yeah. This was a grown man, right? Yeah, I was looking for some meaning that this guy had with his village, the goat village, and everybody's slaughtered and – um, then Bill helps him, but then he gets lost and 
Bill finds him, but he finds him at Phoenix Farms, where Stavros, of course, is his home his home base. Um, pretty crazy stuff. Bill's wife calls it a miracle, and then she either she says or Bill says somehow sometimes things work out, which is the opposite of what his other philosophy was earlier in the show. Yeah, and to not question the universe. Sometimes it's not meant to be. So did Bill say that or did Sally say that things sometimes just work out? I think it was just Bill saying it, right? Because Sally was saying it was a miracle, I think, and then Bill was saying sometimes he thinks things just work out. And look why I'm at who I'm with, my American family. Sally says it's a miracle. I don't know. It might be, but don't question the universe. That's my motto. Sometimes things just work out. So Bill says it. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting from a guy who says just things are meant, you know, not meant to be. <laughs> um, so he's all over the place, not only in his detective work, but in his philosophies. But how, how would he have known who this was anyway? Did he catch him stealing something and then finds out who he was? Or did he recognize him? Because we're not going to assume that, right? I don't know. I mean, he I don't just know runs the meaning. into him. I got to confess ignorance of this whole connection to this Tahir. Yeah. Um, 30-year-old I, adopted son. From Sudan. Ten, I didn't get he's that. 10 years younger than his adoptive parents. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I did not get that. So in between scenes here, Michelle, we see a bridge commercial, the show The Bridge. Mm-hmm. What the hell's going on with that show? I thought that show was kind of resolved. Uh, from I mean, is that a good show? I liked the show. I liked it part of the time, and I would get very frustrated with it. But, but yeah. Yeah, I, I liked some it. of it, too. I don't know if I like the whole set of episodes but i liked some of it yeah it had the characters that would kind of annoy you and then suck you in maybe i don't know i did like it i i watched it and i kind of want to know what's going to go on since uh his son was killed the yeah uh, might have to get into podcasting that one yeah so anyway back to fargo we see molly margerson in her um, Margie mode walking around house and her husband Gus sleeping and TV on very very original Far- Fargo movie like yeah and there was some very interesting stuff here that Noah Hawley did or the or the producer did I guess probably both but Molly's conversations with a half awake Gus and the conversations on the television were very interesting to me um Near the end of this scene, I don't know what show that was or what movie, an old black and white movie. Um, But near the end of this scene, Molly says, we're doing good. We got everything we need. And the guy on TV says, that's preposterous. (laughs) So there was an interlaced dialogue. I think it had to be on purpose and had to have some meaning. But I thought that was a very interesting way of kind of commenting on Molly's opinion that we're doing good and we've got everything we need. Yeah, and you can tell Molly's just trying to convince herself of that anyway. She's tormented. Professionally, yeah. They may have everything they need as a couple. They look pretty happy as a couple. Oh, sure, sure. But 
But she's tormented about what's going on in her professional or what's not going on in her professional life. But she's trying to convince herself that she's happy like everybody else has convinced themselves that it's okay. Let's just move forward. And I don't think that I don't think she's trying to convince herself. I think she's trying to think of what to do next. Well, she keeps saying we're good. We have everything we need. I think she's trying to convince herself that she's good and they have everything they need. And obviously she does not have everything she needs to be truly happy. Well, maybe, but in the context of her and Gus, I think that probably is true. They do have pretty much what they wanted. But who says that? If you have everything that you need and you're good, do you just kind of bring that up in the middle of the night? Yeah, you're you're talking yourself into it, you mean? Yeah. I mean, when things are good, I don't sit around and think... I mean, I guess I do think things are good, but... I can't imagine bringing it up to somebody. It just seemed like the way she was saying it to me was like trying to convince herself, even though she knew that she is she is not going to be complete. Everything is not going to feel right to her until she gets some resolution. Yeah. So we go, we see another cool um, transition from the bed cover, the bed um, spread to Las Vegas, a big showroomy. Girl standing on a box, magic trick, Las Vegas nightclub. Mm-hmm. How did you like the Las Vegas setting? Um, well, they didn't show us too much about what was going on, but but the insurance convention was, uh, I don't know, I've never been to anything like that. I'm sure you have, right? Uh, I've never been to an insurance convention, well, right. but I like the I like the Las Vegas theme. I mean, Las Vegas they actually f- kind of focused in on Paris. Um, the Paris hotel is not a glammed up glam glam hotel, but it's pretty nice. You know, it's nice enough, and it makes it easy to forget normal life when you're there. You're walking around underneath a fake Eiffel Tower. Um, <sighs> you know, it's not like the it's not like the super nice Bellagio's top sweets and stuff but it's a nice enough place um but it's a club scene and it's a magic trick and we're kind of we're kind of led into seeing lester's winning an award for insurance salesman of the year for 2007 mm-hmm. and he's with linda who's now his wife so we know that he's moved on certainly in that way and he's looking good. He's got the good haircut now. He's got the good online tie. Everybody's hair's cut. Greta has a haircut. Molly has a haircut. Um, Lester has a haircut. Everybody's hair's different. But yeah, he looks better. Yep. So Lester Lester pulls another alpha move by tossing his notes away at the conference and just speaking from the heart. Another power move. Have you ever spoken in public, Michelle? Sure. Mhm. When you uh it's 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 pretty hard sometimes but it, you know you prepare yourself you have your notes or you have a PowerPoint or something but mm-hmm. to toss all that away and do like a TED style talk with no notes that's a power power move. Have yeah, you ever he, done that just spoken up and stood up and spoken for 5 minutes without any kind of notes or anything? Uh 
no, I gotta have my notes. I don't, I don't think I have. I've, I've kept my notes with me, but um, not always use them, but kind of followed them along because I was familiar with them. I, I can't mean, say I've ever just winged it. Sometimes you you might be forced to, like, come on, speech, speech, you gotta stand up and say something, but that's different. When you have notes prepared and you just toss them and, and say, I'm gonna just wing this, mm-hmm. I see that as the alpha move, and that's another big switch in Lester. That's, yeah, I could see that. Um... And so Lester, in this whole philosophy theme, kind of says the worst does happen sometimes. Um, I don't know if he's creating an omen for himself and for maybe Linda, but he spins it into a quasi-joke that the worst does happen sometimes. And you know, the thing we need to do to protect ourselves from that is buy insurance and kind of let you see why the, you know he's kind of become a pretty good insurance salesman. Right. Yeah, he definitely has the... Sob story background now based on his own interpretation of what happened to him to maybe make himself a good salesman. Yeah, his own relation of it. He knows he, he right. doesn't need to interpret it. He created a lot of it himself. Um, and then we see him in the king chair, like kind of holding court after dinner or after the show. Yeah. That was pretty cool. <laughs> Literally a throne looking chair, throne looking chair. Um, and then they are walking up to the elevator, and he sees these sirens in black dresses that kind of lure him back out into the into the evening. And he kind of kind of leaves it pretty clear that Linda's not invited for the nightcap. No, she's not. And this this shows us. I don't think we need any more excuse to dislike Lester. I mean, everything Lester's done has been pretty much reprehensible, but. He just continues it on in the same way that he is, his confidence is building and he's now doing all these alpha moves and everything. He's not trying to become a good man. He's not trying to write his life. He now has this wife who is attractive and she's the opposite of Pearl. She is supportive, and she's constantly laying on the uh, the compliments to him. She's building him up, and that's not good enough for Lester either. He he still is chasing something else. Yeah, so, power. Power breeds more power. Powerful men always want more power. Well, he's not, um, but but he's not happy. He's still not happy. You can't be happy if you're. If you're not finding any kind of... I'm not saying it's the right formula. I'm just saying that's what they do. That's what a lot of times happens. Well, it's it's so disgusting. It's just a disgusting move. So on top of everything else that you see with Lester, and up to this point, and now he's like got this notoriety within his job and this notoriety in his home and the just everything that one would think would make someone happy... He's not happy. He's just turned into a not good person. So um, he sees the sirens, which of course has a callback to a reference point. Um, Brother, where art thou? Um, <laughs> leading him. Uh, every other sentence is a callback to something. Uh, do you think he would have crossed paths with Malvo had he not gone out for the drink? Or do you think that brought him back in touch with Malvo? No, I mean, I don't think he would have. Malvo was there. Malvo was down in the exact room. It's not like he just happened by him. 
he ends up down there because he takes the wrong path, the wrong move. He does the wrong thing. And because he's done this particular wrong thing, he ends up in the room with Malvo again. Yep. Lester, um, I think you're right. He's lured, he's lured into this by a bad decision, opening the door for it to connect. And, and that's what happens. On my second watch, I noticed that Malvo is in the scene in the background, which I didn't notice, of course, in the first watch. There was no reason to. Right. But he's in the scene the whole time, even though we don't know who he is yet. And yeah, he, it's just the white-haired guy in the background. Yeah, he's right? kind of a white-peppered-haired dentist now, um, talking about, I guess, he injects himself accidentally with Novocaine or something in the hand, making a joke about it. <laughs> Yeah. And but they're both very removed from Minnesota, so that was pretty interesting that they're that they're uh, so far away in both geography geograph geographical space and in theme. Yeah, and that they would run into one another there. I mean, how many people do you know? Have you ever accidentally ran into somebody? I mean, of course everybody's accidentally ran into somebody, but have you ever accidentally ran into somebody like in a place like Vegas that you haven't yeah. seen? Yeah, really? Uh-huh. Okay. But it's not normal. I mean, it's re really unusual. Well, yeah, and I mean, here we've seen Bill accidentally find his Sudan foster or foster adoptive child in some Phoenix farm in a different city, and now we've seen Lester accidentally run into Malvo. Yep. And That's do you think the guy at the table with Malvo is Malvo's next victim? Okay, I thought maybe, but we don't see Malvo do a lot of fraternizing with victims, but maybe until they showed the upcoming episodes. Yeah. And then I'm thinking no. So, spoiler alert if we mm -hmm. are going to talk about upcoming episodes, but um but this Seeing Malvo again was like, I was like, yes, we want, we want to see what happens to Malvo. You know, I want to see what the deal is with Malvo. What's the story? I don't care if he gets caught or he gets away or whatever. I just want to know what what he's up to. But a dentist? Well, he's everything. What You know? He's a dentist? Oh, my gosh. That's like, is that like a nod to... to what is it, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? I mean, you know where he wants, no. Which one is it where he wants to be a dentist? Or Marathon Man. I don't know. I don't know either, but um, he is. And if we are going to talk about the upcoming, we see that he truly, so turn off your, turn off your computer if you're not into spoilers. But he is a dentist and um, on the next ons, and he's, he's asking somebody, what's the longest you've ever gone without sleep? And the answer is five days, and I was an animal after not sleeping for five days. And he frequently talks about himself as an animal and kind of relates to that. So that was not that surprising to hear him say that. But the dentist thing blew me away. And then Lester, we see next week, will confront him at that Las Vegas table. And Billy Bob denies knowing him at He first. does, right. And then he says do you want to go here? And he gets back to the yes and no with him. And they kind of flash back to all of Lester's yes and no moments over the course of the season. 
Yeah. Now, Gina was a f- Vegas stripper. Do you think there's any reason that that is related to Vegas and now they're in Vegas? You know, when they first showed that scene, that's what I thought we were actually going to see. When they showed, when they panned from Molly and Gus's bed to like the curtain in the Vegas showroom, I thought we were going to see Gina up there. So it's funny you ask that. I can't imagine her going back to that. She's certainly, you know, she had a couple kids and time has went by. But I don't know. Yeah, interesting. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. So um, next week is a fox, a rabbit, and a cabbage, which I'm sure is some sort of parable or paradox. I haven't Googled it yet, but that's the beauty of Google, Michelle. You just look this stuff up and somebody <laughs> somewhere has the answer. They do. Kind of anti. It's anti what the paradox is. It, you're supposed to figure it out yourself. But uh, we have Google. Well, we have to at least know the the, uh, the the story to be able to figure it out. Yeah, but Google kind of gives you the answer, too. I know, and sometimes more than one answer. So so this was another one by Scott Wynette, the director, and he did the last one and this one. And next two, the last two, we have Matt Shackman as the final director. And Has that's he it. done any others? Uh, Matt Shackman? Uh-huh. No. No? Okay. Well, that'll been, be interesting then to see how different. It's been two, 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 five different directors. Pretty this cool. This one was so different than the last one, though. I was really expecting something more like um, Who Shaves the Barber. And this one just was completely different to me. Yeah. I'm surprised that a year's gone by, really, and and and. Molly hasn't raised more hell to get a better, you know, a better result. Because if you know somebody's in jail because of all this, I don't know. I was just I was kind of surprised a year had gone by. Yeah, the whole thing was just shocking to me that life has, like you mentioned earlier, in organizations, but life has just moved on. It's moved on for Malvo. It's moved on for Lester. It's even moved on for Molly and Gus, even though Molly's still kind of caught back in it. But she's the only one that we see who eat. Well, Lester maybe in a way. Do you think Lester feels... He's he obviously still feels anger toward Malvo. Is that right? Is that what you would think? I think Lester's got more confidence now and he wants to confront Malvo. He wants to use this new however phony it it is. I guess it's not phony if you really feel it though, and I think he really feels it. It's like but, it's kind of a result of the fake it till you make it, which really does work if you're afraid of something just stand up and do it and fake that you're not afraid and you become stronger about it. I think that's happened to him in this year. But don't you think, though, that if you ask Lester, he would say that his life is so much better now than it was when he was the henpecked husband of Pearl in the dead-end job. He couldn't sell anything. His brother had everything. He had nothing. Yeah, but you're mixing mixing some premises. His life is better now, but it's not because that stuff has changed externally around him. It's because he's changed. His confidence changed those things. Because of Malvo, indirectly. Yeah, absolutely. That's Remember, I think in our first podcast, I called Malvo a savior, and you were like, oh, my God, that guy's not a savior. 
He's... No, he's still not. Look, look at what he's turned him into. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think Lester is better off. I think Lester is worse off. I think Lester is is on a collision course with everything horrible, which is the exact opposite of what Kitty told him that he deserved everything good. But. I think Lester's life is awful, and there's nothing redeeming about Lester at all now that they've showed us. Well, but I think, I think if you he, ask, I think he is better off. He's making more money. He's got more confidence. He feels better. No, he's an evil man. He's not better off. You're not better off if you're that evil. I mean, he's that's put his your opinion of it, though. Jail. That's your view of him not being better off. He feels like he's better off. But that's my point. I think he feels like he is better off. And he, and therefore, if he feels like he's better off, I would think, based on his character, that he would not feel this animosity, maybe, that he's feeling. Whatever he's feeling toward Malvo doesn't seem kind. And I would think that he wouldn't maybe feel this harshness toward Malvo. Well, why didn't okay? Why didn't Walter White stop when he reached the seven hundred and sixty-five thousand that he needed to provide for his family? Well, that was absolutely because he was addicted to the rush and the power and the whatever. It wasn't enough. Nothing I think that's Lester's story too. But we don't see Walter White getting angry at Jesse for them doing starting this to begin with i don't know i just don't see why he would be so upset at malvo when malvo's the one that kicked him into this lane that he's now just flying down i don't think he's upset with him i think he feels more powerful that he can address him and and maybe he's challenging himself maybe lester's challenging himself inwardly like okay now i can stand up to this guy i want to i want to confront him like he confronted Molly, you know, he he met eyes with Molly in the street through the window. He's that he's that way too with Malvo and every everything else. I guess we'll find out. There's only two episodes left. Do you have any predictions? Jeez. Um I I don't. I don't have any idea what they're going to do now. I don't think it's going to be good though. I don't think it's going to be good at least for Lester. I think Molly will get her resolution. I'm not so worried now about Gus. I thought Gus was going to bite it <laughs> at some point. I'm thinking maybe he won't. Are you thinking something different? I think, well, I wasn't thinking of Gus too much because Gus isn't really, although everybody's saying Gus is the key player because he was the dog catcher and the dog and or wolf is Malvo. But I don't, I don't know. I can't see Gus catching Malvo. No, Unless I think they could have played it that way. I think if Molly had died and Gus had stepped up, I think it could have been played that way. But I don't think it is either. Yeah, as we have less and less time, although it is amazing what episodes do with very little time. Um, I remember thinking in Game of Thrones and some of the Mad Men and some of the um, Breaking Bads, like they're running out of time. They only have 20 minutes left and this is the last episode, but they wrap stuff up really quickly. Yeah. But I don't know if there's enough time for Gus to be the hero. I don't think so. I don't even think we're headed in that direction. I think I think I think Malvo gets away like Shigor did. 
I do too. I think he's the force that just he's going to be in every city corrupting everything and everyone. And that's kind of the black side of life. Uh, I think Lester might get away. I don't think he will. Um, Molly and Gus. I think Molly brings some sort of resolution. Either Lester gets away, but he's wanted or he gets, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I can't have both, huh? Can't have Molly getting her resolution and Lester getting away. I don't think Lester's going to get away. I think Lester's going to meet some kind of bad end one way or another. I I don't know how much Molly's going to have to do with it, but I do think Molly's going to end up sad at everything that happened because, of course, she's lost Fern, and that was the, the catalyst all this for her, maybe. But... I think she's going to end up sad, but satisfied. I guess I can't ignore that tonal clue that Gus and Molly have some dreaded thing waiting for them. Um, So I don't know. I I just can't ignore that they're talking about the logging event, and it seemed like a fun thing to do, but there was this really horrible music underneath it for a reason. Um, And it wasn't just that Gus was too shy to ask her out. So I think I think uh, Lester, you know, I don't know, and then there's Lester. <laughs> I think Malvo gets away. Gus and Molly have a problem, whether it's separation or one of them getting killed. Lester, I don't know. You think he gets caught? I think he might not get caught. Who else? I don't what know else? If he gets caught, but I think something bad's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to get killed or if he's going to get caught. I I hope we see him get caught because to me that would be so much better for his world to come crashing down in a way that exposes him than for him just to die. But that's of course up to the next. What about the money? I don't think we're going to see the money again. You know, in the movie, the money was put there and then forgotten about for a little while. And I mean, for the rest of the movie. And I don't think we're going to see it until maybe next season. Well, so. there's a difference between this show and the movie in that the movie was a one-shot one thing. This show is going to try to have a second season. And oh, that is money, it? Yeah. It's a, it's I didn't like, know that. It's like True Detective. It's like a I did not anthology. Know okay, good. And I thought it was just like a 10-hour movie we were watching. I did not know that. No, there's to supposed to be another Fargo, and it, with a 98% fresh on fresh on on the tomato aggregator for rotten tomatoes it's gonna be an audience is ripe to have more of this stuff so i think they won't resolve the money but they'll show the money's out there and somebody else sees it or needs it or wants it or somebody will be really broke and needing money or maybe it's that refugee guy from the sudan who knows (laughs) but um a fox a rabbit and a cabbage and then morton's fork and then we're done wow all right, Michelle, any last thoughts? Um, no, I'm thought out. <laughs> this one really took some effort. This one was a difficult one for me. Yeah, a lot of un- unanswered little mysteries in it. Yeah, many more questions than answers in this one. And I think that they'll, I'm sure they'll be able to wrap it up for me because they're, they've been brilliant with this so far. So I'm just looking forward to what comes next. So Michelle, will you go to iTunes please and like Fargo TV like five or 600 times? Okay. I'll do that. Anyone else out there too, please go there. You don't have to like us, but just check us out. Look at us on iTunes, Fargo TV, look us up on Stitcher, Fargo TV, 
Facebook slash Fargo TV. Send us a tweet if you have any questions or you just want to leave a comment, scathing tweets. Uh, or just check us out at westcoastproject.com. And that's about it. If not anything else from you, Michelle, I'll see you next week. Okay, Mike. I'll see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.